Y'all need to learn how to defer. When the star of the show comes in, you back off. <laughs> Welcome to the world's best track and field podcast, Track Talk, where each and every week we treat running like a great elite sport, not just a woke fitness activity. On this week's show, we'll break down the fantastic Valencia Marathon, where the American record did not fall, but the Canadian record did. We'll get you ready for the conference championships in the NCAA. Talk about the doping scandal that continued to grow, continues to grow in Kenya. Two weeks have passed since L.A. Kipchoge's training partner was popped. And today, Jonathan Galt talked to the AIU head, Brett Clothier. What did Jonathan learn? Plus, after last week's rant on the non-binary prize money, I'll update everyone on my vow to write an op-ed to the New York Times. Am I actually falling through on that? All of that and more on today's show. We'd love to hear from you, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter. You can actually pick up the phone and tell us what you think. 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. This is Let's Run co-founder Robert Johnson, joined as always by my genetic equal, faster twin brother, Walton Johnson, as well as sub-30, 10,000-meter runner, Jonathan Galt, double-degree Jonathan Galt, Dartmouth and Syracuse. Welcome, guys. Hi, Robert. Good afternoon. Wondering, we need to check that voicemail line or the email inbox, wherever people are sending their feedback. I feel like we haven't been hearing from our listeners enough recently, and maybe that's because we're not checking enough recently. But back in the track season, it seemed like every week someone was calling in. We had fake Josh Kerr, who's probably now partying out in his offseason. Yeah, it's just good. I like having the readers involved, especially some of these weeks where we don't have a major marathon or a big-time cross-country race to break down. So hopefully get more of that in the weeks to come. How'd you like that extra long intro, John? I tried to talk on and on because not a lot la happened last week. I wanted to make sure we get you know, our minutes in on the podcast, although we're always worried that we're not going to have enough to talk about. And you know, on our Friday 15 bonus podcast, I think we went close to an hour. Yeah, I don't think I've ever done a podcast with you, Robert, where, or I had any sort of interaction with you where go. It's you know, it was an issue filling time. You're pretty good to talk to. Pretty easy to talk to. Feel like we always get our money's worth. Weldon, how about you? Anything, anything new this week? What do you? What's getting you going? Your soccer team got a big tie over the weekend. Congratulations on that. The one you play on, not Crystal Palace. That. You know, the less said about them, the better. Thank you, John. Thank you. Finally, someone's acknowledged that my greatest athletic accomplishment in probably the last 10 years. Thank you. And I'm almost 28 minutes in K runner. Can I get that in my profile? Make me feel a little better about myself. I would call you with your 28 minute 10 K runner. This is how you, you classify people by the digits in the PR. So you're a 28 minute guy. I'm a, th I'm a 29 minute guy, Robert. I don't know what your personal best is, but I don't think you might not be, a, you might be, are you a 30 minute guy or can you even claim that? No comment, John. Um, I'm sorry. Sorry if I triggered you, Robert. And if 
people are still wondering, they should keep listening. I have a secret segment on fast food and booze that will be coming up in this week's podcast. Robert and John are not aware of this. Must listen, must listen. And as Robert said, if you want the Supporters Club podcast, second podcast every week, join the Supporters Club today. You get huge savings in running shoes. Second podcast every week. Tons of people keep signing up. Thank you. Originally launched it during the Olympics to get the second podcast. Now it's just our daily podcast. Now it's just a constant stream of signups. Thank you. And if you're listening to this before Wednesday, you got to sign up today. The elliptical and roll recovery, train like the pros giveaway. Sign up ends today, Wednesday, October 26th or Tuesday. If you're really listening to this really quick, $3,500 in prizes. These are the leaders in recovery. We got the Elliptigo 8C. You could win that. Or the Roll Recovery R1 percussion device. Seriously, if you don't have a Roll Recovery device, you got to get one. Elliptigo, best cross training out there. Tons of Olympic trial ru- trials runners use them. Emily Sisson, I think she broke an American record. If anyone could remember that far back, recently in the marathon, she's an Elliptigo user. Check it all out. Link in the show notes. All right, sounds good. And the bonus podcast, guys, let'srun.com slash subscribe. This week's Friday 15. Friday is conference weekend. It used to be a whole weekend. Now it's basically just one day. Pretty much every major NCAA conference is having their conference meet on Friday. So we will be on the air in the afternoon to break down all the results and what it means going forward in the sport. Okay, enough of all this throat clearing. Let's talk about some results. Valencia Half Marathon. Over the weekend, Kibwak Kandier, the former world record holder from Kenya, takes the win, 58-10. Used to be if someone ran 58-10 in a half marathon, this would, well, we are leading the show with this, but we would be freaking out. It would be in the headlines. Now it's just, uh, ho-hum, 58-10, super shoes. It happens. He gets the victory. Yomif Kajelcha, second. Ethiopian record, 58-32. He broke it by one second. A little bit further back. Some names you might recognize. Edward Cheserek, ninth, 60-13. Bia Simbasa was the top American in 60-37. He was in 17th place. The Canadian record, both Ben Flanagan and Cam Levins ran under the previous mark, which was 61-08, set by Rory Linkletter. Ben Flanagan runs 61 flat. He gets the record. Cam Levins, 61-04. They were 18th and 19th in the race. So... Pretty far back, but congratulations to Flanagan for getting the record. On the women's side, Constance Klosterhalfen of Germany, smashing debut, 65-41 for the win. Not only that, it makes her the fastest woman ever in the half marathon who was born outside of Africa. Record-eligible horses only. So those are the storylines. Guys, what, do you, what stood out to you from this race over the weekend? I see Robert pointing at a photo of Constance Klosterhoffen older his right shoulder. I guess I'll start with that. If Robert's not going to jump in. I was very impressed she won this race, John. I mean, she has a world championship bronze medal, but the Olympics didn't go that great last year. I couldn't even tell you how she did a world this year. This was a loaded women's field. So I did not was expect it? it. Yeah, it's John. It's not, it wasn't as good as the men. The world record is 62-52 now. I mean, 
there were some fast women here. Like it was very deep, but I don't know. A lot of the top, I feel like the men's race was stronger than the women's race. Okay, extremely deep field. How about that? I mean, there's like 10 women who could win this thing. Usually women's running is not that deep. And for her to come out in her debut, win this, especially after sort of what she's done recently, it sort of makes me sort of reassess maybe these last couple of years. I thought maybe she was more on the decline versus being injured, that sort of stuff. But the future is very bright for her. And it showed, hey, this step up the distance isn't, isn't too far for her. Because I still primarily think of her as a 5k runner, even though, you know, Olympics, she ran the 10k last year, that sort of stuff. I mean, she's run tens, but her greatest success has been at 5k on the track. I agree. I was surprised by this. I mean, I don't follow her training that closely, but she's been much better, John, at 5,000 as compared to 10,000. 1426 personal best is 19th all time outdoors, I believe. 3101, 10,000. I mean, she just started that last year, so maybe she hasn't done a lot of tries at a time trial in the 10,000 but this year she won the european title in the five was only fourth in the 10 so you know is she like sort of more just of a of, you know a pure 5k runner that's not going to translate well to the marathon like you know maybe a bob kennedy type i mean she's run 359 for 1500 so is she more like 15 5 versus a pure distance runner and this gives me some hope that she's going to be good at the marathon if she ever wants to move up to that. Um, she's now, I think, the 29th fastest woman in the half marathon, which isn't obviously as high as 19th. But when you're 29th at the marathon, you're more relevant. I mean, I know she did win a medal in the 5,000, but there's six majors. They're dividing it. Any major you run, you're sort of an outside shot to medal, definitely good shot to podium. So, um you know, it, it was a nice run for her here, definitely. You know, but I, I don't think she has any indication that she's going to be going to the marathon. She said post-race, I want to break the German record my next time and a half. I assume she'll go back to the track. Yeah, it's a nice option to have moving forward. She's still only 25. So if I were her, I'd probably stick on the track at least through Paris 2024. And Robert, you said she's 359 in the 1500. She's actually run 358. She's run 159. So pretty incredible range. 159 in the 800. Now 6541 in the half marathon. This year, she didn't do much at Worlds because she had COVID, I think, in the month leading up to it. She didn't even make the final in the 5K. But then a month later, she wins the European title. So she hasn't run that much in the 10K. She was fourth at Euros. But... I think that's just because last year she was also kind of hurt in the lead up to the Olympics. She still got she got eighth in the Olympic ten thousand final, so that's not bad. She beat all the Americans in that race. Uh, so I think if she can just get some healthy training from now until you know Budapest twenty twenty three, Paris twenty twenty four, yeah, she could be back in that medal mix, uh, maybe in the five k or ten k. But it's good to know that say she doesn't find herself succeeding that much or competing at the very best in the world on the track, she's gotten a pathway to success in the half and in the marathon moving forward. Because I do think this show, she's always struck me as someone, even though she was a 1500 5K runner coming up, she's never afraid to run from the front. And when I think of people who have success running from the front in the 5K and 10K, 
those are the ones I usually think are probably going to be more suited in the marathon rather than the guys, people who are just in there sitting and kicking. It's ridiculous. I can think of one runner who comes off the top of my head who's good at 5K and good at the marathon. Mr. Kipchoge? Yeah, when I phrase it like that, boom, yeah. So having said that, I don't think she'll be a Kipchoge in the marathon. Well, wait, Kennedy Spikele, he was the Olympic champion, world record but, holder, and he's running he, 201, 41 in the marathon. He wasn't good in both. But no, but he was good at the 10 too, like sort of skipping the 10 because she's had more success at the five. Kipchoge never really did anything in the 10. And then boom, it reemerges in the marathon. You're like, wait, where the hell has this been? It's actually a butterfly effect thing. Well, think about this. Why did Kipchoge move to the marathon in 2013? He didn't make the Olympic team in the 10,000 meters in 2012. If he, well, Let's say he medals in the 10K in 2012. He makes the team. He gets the bronze behind Mo Farah and Galen Rupp. Does he stick on the track? Are we robbed of the greatest marathon career we've ever seen? Or do you think he moves up anyway? I think it's a fascinating what if. Thank God that didn't happen. The image that you just put into my head of Galen Rupp out kicking Elliot Kipchoge just really bothered me. Could that have possibly happened? I've never understood how he wasn't better at the 10,000. Well, my my one thing that's just trying to, I'm trying to struggling to make sense of it myself, I have to think maybe 2012 was just kind of a down year for him or he didn't run the 10K that much until that year and didn't give himself another shot. Because you would think if he's a world champion in the 5,000, and he wasn't just a world champ, he was one of the best in the world for many, many years in that event. He moves up to the 10K, and suddenly he's just not good anymore. That doesn't really seem to make sense to me. Especially he immediately then becomes a huge factor in the marathon, like right away. I feel like if he'd given it a couple more years, he might have been able to figure it out, but who knows? One other thing here about cluster heaven before we talk about the men's race, like who does she train with? Right? I mean, she moved to America to be part of the NOP with Salazar. She's now part of the Union Athletics Cubs with Pete Julian, but and I don't know if you guys can see the photo I just put up on the screen behind me, but there's only five people on the team now. Four of them are women. None of them are long distance women. By the way, John, this is break. John told me to look into this. I can confirm what John thought was true is true. There's been no announcement, but has left the Union Athletics Club. We confirmed the news. Roger reported. Then the athlete reached out to us and wants to make the announcement themselves on social media. So for now, we're keeping the news and our discussion of it to Supporters Club members. Join today if you want to listen. We've always said Supporters Club is the sort of things we talk about on the run. Private club for Let's Run Insiders, Running Insiders. We've got a 10 plus minute segment on this in the Supporters Club podcast. All right, carrying on with the rest of the pod. Anyways, if you look at the Union Athletics Club, it's kind of a weird group. Like four girls, um, but most of them are more middle distance runners, right, John? Sinclair Johnson. Jessica Hull, Raven Rogers, Coco. Wait a second. Donna- There's only five people. So, okay. 
Maybe that's fake. That maybe that part's fake news. Those are the only four people, five people pictured with the coach. Well, I would kind of be insulted if I'm on the team and the coach won't take a picture with me. No, the picture, it's very obvious. It's a very cool picture. It's got Pete Julian in the middle, and then it's got Donovan Brazier, Coco, Raven Rogers, Jessica Hall, and Sinclair Johnson. They're all wearing their national team kits because those are the athletes who made the world championships this summer. I I don't think it's a front. If you want to be in the picture, make the world championships. Um, I, I thought it was a cool shot. So who are we missing? In terms of training partners potential for her, you got Hase. Hello, Don. Hase's not on her level. I mean, that's not really going to be productive. She, the, the premise still stands. Who does she train with? She has yes. no one to train with. There's no long distance runner at her level, near her level on the team right now. Jordan Hase, when she was at her best in the marathon, could have done the long distance stuff with her. But now well, Jessica Hall in the 5K. No Jessica Hall runs the 5K. She's the Australian record holder in the 5K. I know she's focused on the 1500, but she's run very well in the 5K. If they're tra- if they train, you know, if they're together at the same time, they could potentially train together. I don't think they probably were for this block, but yeah, right. It, fair, fair enough, John. They could even now in the fall, they could probably do 80% of their stuff together. Right. Super long run. She goes further than her. Why are we worried about this? You don't though? need she that. She just ran 6541. She had a great debut. I'm not I don't think that anything with her system is or setup is broken. It seems like she's running well. What John, as you said, this time sucks. She didn't run 62 minutes. We're just wondering why not. Here's another thing she could train with. Who do you think would win in a 5000? Donovan Brazier or Coco? Coco's PR is 14.26. Didn't Brazier run like low 15s in high school, though, of basically no training? <sighs> I think it would be a, quite a... I mean, Donovan Brazier's run 3.35 for 1,500. If Donovan Brazier's healthy, I think he's winning. But... I don't know, he, John. 5,000 is pretty far. I would, I, would, I would pay to see that. I think we could raise $10,000 at the end of the season, pay-per-view to watch it. You have a match race. And she just takes it out. We're going to do wave light and see, can't, does he crack? That's Well, that's going to be it because he just tries to play sit and kick on her if she goes out, right? I'd, I'd love to see it. I don't, I don't think we'd be able to raise $10,000, but I would really enjoy that. John, if it was announced Coco was racing Donovan Brazier, there would be pay-per-view. We'd easily get $10,000. Well, fine. I will, Robert, that is smart. We, we're, we've put the stocking horse bid in. $10,000, we'll pay the rights of $10,000 to watch this match. We had to be the broadcast partner of this race. Okay, I guess it's Runner how we space, market it. USA we, no, no. Flow track. If we said we're going to try to raise $10,000 for this thing, I don't think you would get there. But if we go to Pete Julian, he's like, you can hype this up. It will happen if you get us $10,000. And we just pitch it that way. Like This thing is guaranteed to happen if you raise 10000 Yes, I think people on the message boards would would they raise the money for it? Assuming they were guaranteed a stream, they would want to be able to watch this thing. Or even better, maybe Weld and I just raised the money ourselves with Electron Ad Money, and we're the only ones allowed to watch it. John would fly you out there too. You can watch it. <laughs> we do no streaming, the opposite. We're the only ones. We watch it. We take, we kick Pete Julian out, and only the three of us and the two runners know what happened. Okay. Speaking, speaking of such, actually, speaking of streaming, I talked to someone who does streaming. And they said, the amount of money you bring in is very closely related to how many athletes are in the competition for track meets. 
which, the number of parents watching. Yeah, like parents yeah. watching. I was like, oops. I mean, does that really surprise us? All right, let's talk about the men's half marathon in Valencia. Did we even mention it? I think we said Candy won. Yeah. But the American record did not fall. On the Friday 15, I once I found out two Americans were running, I started talking about how it could fall. And look, I'm just saying in the super shoe era, it doesn't make any sense that the half marathon and marathon American men's records are still there from before the super shoes. So I think it will fall in 2023. It obviously did not fall this weekend. Um, I was disappointed to see that Edward Cheserick did not break 60 minutes, but it's kind of crazy to me up front that Kajelcha gets the Ethiopian record, but that's only 10th on the Kenyan list. So there's, just so many more Kenyans now. Hey, I mean, they've got that secret sauce. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, so that was kind of what interests me. Like, no American record. Kajelta ran good. You know, he won this race in 2019. So, he, you know, there's reason to think he could be good at the marathon. And then I was pleased, very pleased to hear when I heard that the Canadian record was set. And it was still over 61 minutes. I'm like, we should not even publicize this. This is embarrassing for a modern country to have a half marathon national record over 61 minutes. And then our Monday morning conference call, Weldon's like, did the guys just sit on each other and run 61 flat pace the whole way? I was so pleased that that was not the case. I mean, that's not Cam Levin's MO. This guy went for broke in the Olympic, in the World Championship Marathon, ran a huge peep. He went for broke here, went off just off the leaders. And it cost him because he didn't end up getting the Canadian record got passed in the last 2K. But congrats to him for going for it. Congrats to Ben Flanagan for getting the record. Yeah, I, I'll give a shout-out here to Bia Simbasa from the United States, 6037. I mean, yes, the Super Shoes have inflated times a little bit, but I still think it's a fairly big deal if an American runs 6037 and a half marathon. He... Ran the half earlier this year in Houston and was 61.03. He's now improved a little bit from there. He was second at Falmouth behind Flanagan. I don't know. It's just it's a sol- solid year by BSM Barca. And be interesting to see what happens when he eventually moves up to the marathon. I assume he's going to go there. He hasn't really been all that close to making a team on the track. And I'm not convinced he will moving forward. So, yeah, good success in the half marathon. Let's see what happens when he moves up to the marathon if he's that kind of athlete. But uh, 60-37 by an American, you got to tip your hat. That's pretty, it's pretty solid. The other thing about this race that's, that's weird to me is Candy, I mean, former world record holder in the half, is he just going to be like the modern day Zersene Tedese? Like, I know he's run a marathon. He ran New York last year, but what was it, 213? Is that right, John? Yeah, he didn't do anything in New York. But he supposedly had run Kachung in 2019. If that's really him, 222. But it seems weird to me that a guy who is this good at the half, you know, he's 26 years of age, really hasn't had the track success. Um, I mean, I think he just ran track for the first time this year, right, John? Yeah, and he would have made the Kenyan team if they, if the rules were like they are now, where you can use a road time to qualify, he would have made the team. 
Remember, he ran 27.33 at altitude to win the Kenyan Trials, and we threw a fit because he didn't have the World Championship standard, and he didn't get to run the World Championships. He gets the bronze at the Commonwealth Games, so maybe he'll do another year on the track, but yeah, I'm not going to say, oh, this guy can't run the marathon. He ran one marathon. New York's a tough course to debut at. Well, for some athletes it is, not always, but it's one race. I, I I want to see more from him in the marathon before I say this guy can't do it. But clearly the mar- the half marathon appears to be his best distance because he didn't even look like he was the best guy in this field. Sebastian Sarway beat him in that one-hour run attempt in Brussels in September. I thought, oh, Sarway is going to be the favorite here. No, he was back in sixth. Candier wins it 22 seconds in the end. So clearly this is his event. You thought the guy that used to have the world record and won the Kenyan 10,000 trials was not the favorite here, John? Well, I thought the guy who's run 58.01 and who beat him head-to-head a month ago in a race of one hour in length, yes, I thought that guy was the favorite instead of the guy he beat. Hmm. But, no, I'm not saying he's not good at the marathon. I'm just surprised he hasn't taken a crack at a fast one. Well, he would... I guess the times to do it would have been this full. Like he had a track season, so I can understand why he didn't want to run a spring marathon. Now he focused on the Valencia half instead of going after a full marathon. But it just seems financially that these guys would try it at the marathon. I mean, I would just love to know from the agents. I assume like Valencia is not paying appearance fees. What do you? Why do you assume that? I assume Valencia is paying appearance fees. That's why the fields are so loaded every year. For the half? I bet they are. I don't know what their exact financial arrangement is. I mean, I know they have prize money and such, but how do you? How else do you think they get all these? I mean, yes, they do have a fast course. The weather wasn't perfect on Sunday, but I assume that the reason why their fields are always so good is because they are paying pretty good appearance fees. I, I'm not. I'm assuming it's because they have. Great weather, perfect course, and twenty five thousand of huge prize money. So if you want to run fast, you know it's going to be a good field. You go there. It's much easier than getting to than like Delhi, which has terrible weather. So, anyways, all right. NCA cross country. Wait, you guys go through a whole segment on this race and don't even mention like the most popular runner, King Chess, ninth place. Robert mentioned him. 60-13. But ju- just the point, like, King Chaz, ninth place, nobody even mentions him, and we're supposed to, like, go crazy on BS and Bossa run getting 17th place in this race? Okay, fine. 60-37's fine. We need to acknowledge it. It's, a, like, one of the better runs for him. But it just doesn't move the needle. Like, the U.S., I, I guess I could say it's worse for Canada because <laughs> they break the record and are even more smoked in this race, but uh, what do you want place, from them, guys? Weldon? What do you want from them? They're not going. They're not going. An American is not going to be winning major half marathons like this. There is no American who's even close to doing that. So, what do you just not want to get excited by any of Americans unless they're close to the best in the world? Thank you, John. It's like yes. it's like he's, he's starting to sound like an old angry old white man. Every week, it's like, Americans, they just need to raise the standard. We're not where we need to be. We don't have enough 215 women and enough 204 marathoners. Guess what? 
wait 10 years when this immigration keeps coming, and we'll eventually have it. We've got Tiranus Dababa's baby and Salusha Sahini. That, that, that little boy must be eight or nine now. And with these Africans, I mean, they, they can pop that up. They can, they can hit the elite scene. It's 15, 16. So Ingebrit, hell, Ingebrigtsen did it too. It's not just an African thing. It's a super talent. So this guy. 2032. Hell, I, I guess I can't, I guess I should rule out. LA is 2028. It'll be 14. I think 2032 is, is, is legitimate. Definitely 36. For an 18-year-old that we don't even know will have any interest in running. That's our next hope. Forget it for everyone else. Do we know any of the second generation of African runners once they move to the U.S. who runs that are successful? Like Kip Cano's kids were pretty good runners, but they were still in Africa. I don't know if anyone has come over here. Well, maybe we don't have enough data points. I did see Edna Kiplagat Edna Kiplagat's son, oh, sorry, was no, Edna Kiplagat's daughter won the Colorado Middle School State Cross Country Championships this past weekend with Helen O'Berry in attendance, cheering her on. Well, that was good. And also, John, but she's probably spent, what, the first, like, eight years of her life in Kenya? So she wasn't totally coddled. True or false, if we take Dababa and Sahini's child, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, Tiernus Dababa, one of the greatest women's distance runners in history. Her husband, Salishi Saini, who they called him Mr. Silver because he'd always run like 2640 and get the silver medal. They had a child that was born in Atlanta, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. I think if you took that child and you gave him to me when they were 15 years of age and, you, and I could get them to run 80 miles a week, I have no zero doubt in my life, zero doubt in the world that this person would break Certainly four flat in the mile, 14 flat in 5,000 by the age of 20. But do we even know that this kid who we're paying the hopes of American distance running on would even want to represent the United States? They don't live in America, right? They still live in Ethiopia. His parents are Ethiopian. I don't, who knows? Oh, if, I, like, oh this is hopeful. Wait, the kid doesn't live here? He's back in Ethiopia? I don't oh, think they live better. in Philadelphia. I think they live in Ethiopia. So wouldn't you assume he'd want to represent Ethiopia? What's the term when you kind of fly over here and have the baby and then go back? Anchor baby? Anchor baby, yeah. This was genius, but this is better because the kid needs to be raised in Ethiopia if there's any hope. But Ethiopia, all the runners live in Addis. They don't live out in the rural countryside. I have no hope for this kid, actually, the more I think about it. But, oh, but back to what got us started on this. Okay, are you guys familiar with Pietro Riva? Or Emil Karras? I did recently learn who Emil Karras is, thanks to you, Weldon. Okay, well, I guess they were only 11th and 12th place, but they were, that's five more places. That's only five seconds. Okay, they're only five seconds ahead of B.S. Mbasa, but that's six places. This is a, these are an Italian guy and some British guy I'd never heard of, both of them, further up in the finishes. I would like a top 10. How about a top 10 finish? This is the Valencia Marathon. Now, Valencia quickly establishes itself. It's the La Ciudad de Courier, running, whatever, how am I supposed to say it? Move over New York, move over London. Valencia's taking over. I'm sorry. They don't mess around with this bullshit. They just put on the best events. But I need a top 10 at least. Okay. 
now I at least know what what you want, though. I, th- I think that's that's not too much to ask. But look at Mondo, John. Mondo's competing for Sweden. So I think the Dababa child may want to compete for America. Who <laughs> We don't even know if they run. We don't even know this kid's name. Which is harder, having to like... I mean, most people don't want to do America because you have to actually get top three in the trials or you don't go. But I think that might be easier if you're super talented than having... Then, you know, you're... You got your system set up, and for Ethiopia, you got your six, your schedule all planned out, and then a week, then with a week's notice, they tell you, "Oh, by the way, we're going to run on trials in some random city. The fastest people go, maybe, but we might change our mind at the last minute." And so, one last thing about somewhat related to Valencia before we move on to some other topics. Well, then hinting at the fact that they just put on great events. Do we can we confirm that they don't actually have a wheelchair event? And I, I have nothing against wheelchair racing. I think it's inspiring to overcome your disabilities, but like it's not running. And all of this recent emphasis on the majors putting, raising the prize money, the series prize money equal to wheelchairs and running is absurd because if you're going to do that, why don't you include blind people? Why don't you include amputees? Like, where do you stop? Like the wheelchairs were never the original part of the New York Marathon. I guess you could say the same thing about women, but women started in the second year. Everybody relates to it. There's tens of thousands of runners running. There's only a few people in the wheelchair race. It does not deserve equal money. But that reminds me of this non-binary rant that I went on last week when I heard that New York Road Runners are giving out non-binary prize money. And I vowed to do something about it. And I'm pleased to say that I have, or I'm trying. I've written an op-ed that I want to submit to the New York Times. I don't expect them to publish it if a white male submits it saying that look having a non-binary prize non-binary but if you wanted to go if you want to have a if you want to ask people their gender which i don't see any reason why you would but hey go ahead if you're gonna feel your gender and you want to have a non-binary division that's fine but it should not have prize money because your gender has nothing to do with your performance right john we should have two categories it should not be men and women it should be male and female and Anyways, it's a very simple article. It says, prize gender doesn't impact your performance, blah, blah, blah. You know, then I was going to submit it by, this is Robert Johnson is the co-founder of Let'sRun.com. And then I'm looking to find a prominent female marathoner to co-sign it with me. So I've written it and I'm send, I've sent it out to one very, very prominent runner. And I'm about to send it out to some others. So I've actually followed through, guys. Are you impressed by me? I am, Robert. You talk a lot of things on these podcasts, and not you don't always follow up with your harebrained schemes, but when you see an injustice in the sport, which you believe this to be, you are taking some action, so I do applaud you for that. And I've received feedback. By the way, they're not blowing me off. So I don't want to reveal too much, but basically everybody agrees with me. What do you mean? Basically, everyone agrees with you. I this doubt there's an. I, kind d- of- I doubt that there's a pro runner, an elite. John, come on! Ninety percent of people agree with him, especially if you said it should be equal prize money, non-binary, male and female, or man and woman, however you want to say it. John, ninety percent, ninety-nine percent. I don't people. know if it's ninety or ninety-nine percent. I think you're underestimating the people who the, you're under. Look, the people at the New York Roadrunners. They've the the reason why this has come about is because 
a couple of years ago, there's this whole outcry that she they were not diverse enough, they were not equitable enough, they were not inclusive enough, all that stuff. Now they're taking steps to address this. And deep down, do some might some people feel differently? Yeah, but you're looking at like, are you going to get ninety or ninety nine percent of people to come out publicly and say they're in favor of Robert's policy? I'm not. I'm not sure that I you would. I think ninety. 90% of elite runners would say there should not be equal prize money. 99%. Yes, I think it would be that high. Equal for non-binary. And they've done equal for some. This pro-Robert Road essentially said, I think this move is box ticking by the marathon to underline that they recognize and support runners' rights to identify as non-binary. Now, I, I agree. I think it's a good point. And maybe the race is trying to make a point. There are non-binary people out there. We should treat them with respect and dignity. I'm all for that. But we don't need to have a separate prize money competition for them in sport. And this runner also pointed out to Robert, like essentially like writing articles on this just inflames the situation. It's her belief. So like just let it go. I think this will quickly go away um, when a lot of some men just identify as non-binary to pick up this prize money. I think that's what will end it. I understand the idea of that me writing the article might just inflame people and make it worse, but I feel like just ignoring it. No, they're adding prize money. I feel like that's taking away prize money that should have gone to an elite runner. It's only a small amount this year. It's 15,000, but just the concept, I think it's discriminatory against women because more males are going to win prize money, but it's interesting. You talked about, you know, the optics are important. That's why I'm trying to get a woman to co. I'm trying to get a prominent ru runner. You know, if I can get a Shailene Flanagan, a Dez, a Paula Radcliffe, Mari Yamauchi, somebody who's got an Olympian with stature to assign it. But why are they going to do it? Because you saw what happened to one of the most prominent people in in the world. J.K. Rowling stood up for the in the trans debate, which isn't exactly the same thing. And she was crucified. So they'll probably lose sponsorships, speaking opportunities. It's not going to help them. But I don't know. I just feel like right is right. But but in the end, folks, I doubt I can get any of these women to publish it with me. I have to publish it on letsrun.com. Maybe the Wall Street Journal will publish it with just me. I really think moving forward, though, the solution to all of this is very simple. We get rid of male. We get rid of female. And we have an open category and XX. That's it. Well, XX. Yeah, well, I guess words are changing. Female to me is XX. So, yeah. But the problem is, aren't there some XY women that don't respond to testosterone? Whatever. 90% of people know what's going yes, on. Yes, there are. And you guys all say all these things. They're just so simple. We'll just do this one solution. I'll do that. This thing is never simple. This is the reason why we've had debates over it for the last few years. There are always cases on the borderline. It's never going to be like clean cut. But yeah, I on in theory, Robert, yes, you're open and XX categories. I do. I accept that. And I think then you get to the cases on the borderline and you have to have the global sports authorities litigate those two, those, those people who are very in between. And that's where you're going to get the controversy. That's why this whole thing about Casta Semenya has been such a big deal because she is in between the two sexes. But in theory, I do think that's a good place to draw the line for competitive categories. They would solve that because she's not XX. Correct. Can we talk about something that's not going to get us canceled, but well, it might enrage a few Kenyan, vi Kenyan visitors. 
there's been a lot of doping positives in Kenya over the years, and then a ton in the last month or two, seems like. Including one of LA Kipchoge's training partners two weeks ago, he's popped. Then the Amsterdam Rotter, uh, Amsterdam champion or Rotterdam champion gets popped. And I'm just thinking, what's going on here? Why are, are they suddenly are the cases suddenly taking up in Kenya? I mean, we had a problem a couple of years ago, but all of a sudden they're coming way up. Is the testing getting better? Are they testing more often? So what's changed? Why would they be taking this drug from years ago? So to me, something has to have changed in the last six months. Either better testing, more testing, and why don't we have any positives in, in, in Ethiopia? It doesn't make sense. They'd only be doping in Kenya and not in Ethiopia. So, And also, has L.A. Kipchoge's camps had anything? Has anyone in the Kenyan press asked him about this? I know this guy's inspiring, but can we ask an obvious question? When your training partner tests positive, how did he get it? He confessed to it whatever. And I think these people are confessing and they're getting their bands reduced from four to three years, but are they telling us how they got it, et cetera? Now, John, you spoke to the head of the AIE, Brett Clothier, today, right? I haven't heard what he said to you. What did you learn? I gave you a list of questions I wanted to hear as I basically just said them out loud. What were the answers? This is Brett Clothier of the Athletics Integrity Unit. People don't know, this is the independent group set up by World Athletics to police anti-doping all right Rob. yes i had a productive conversation with brett we talked about a lot of the stuff you just brought up okay first of all why are we getting so many cases coming out of kenya right now if you have been following their press releases it's five in the last two weeks there's been a lot more i think it's probably about i think athletics kenya sent out a notification it was 21 cases this year maybe 25 they've had a lot so Part of that, Brett says, look, they're not all testing positive like right now. Some of these cases are from a year ago. So though the cases may all be released at the moment, doesn't mean they're all happening at the same time. But in general, yes, there have been a lot of cases the last two years. He said they still have a huge doping problem in Kenya. And he pointed to a couple things. One, the financial pressure coming out of the pandemic that won a lot of road races or opportunities to re- to make money in the sport. So now that races are back, all these people who didn't have much money the last couple of years, it's going to be very competitive. They want to make sure they're getting paid. What's the best way to do that? Well, you get yourself in really good shape and how you do that, you dope. So they're feeling the squeeze there. But he also said, why are there being why are there so many more cases? Well, it's because they're getting better at identifying and catching the cheats. That's his belief, is that they the more they investigate doping in Kenya, the more they prosecute cases, the more they learn about how the whole system works. They are figuring out how to test people at the right times to elicit positive tests. They're trying to they're figuring out everything about how to catch cheats. They're better at it now than they were a few years ago. So that was one of his theories is we're getting better at catching cheetahs. And then the other point he made was a few years ago, uh, the world's top road racers came up with a program. He called it the World Athletics Label Race Integrity Program. And this was a fund created by these racers to increase the number of out-of-competition tests for the top road race athletes. Because he put it this way. In most events, the AIU will have 10 athletes per event in a testing pool, the top 10 in the world, and they'll be responsible for testing them out of competition. And then if you're a little worse, you know, top 20 or whatever, your national 
anti-doping agency will be testing you. But he explained it. This doesn't really work in the roads because you can be outside of the top 10. You're still winning a major marathon or major road races. You're one of the top athletes in that event, even though you're not in the top 10. So he said, look, these people are falling through the cracks and many of them are not being tested out of competition at all. The road races put in money to a fund dedicated to testing these athletes more to try to go after them. And it was implemented in 2019. They put in about 1.5 million, but then the pandemic hit that kind of delayed it. But now things have kicked off again. They're able to use these resources to test these athletes more. And he said that that's why we're seeing a lot more positive tests too, because a lot of the athletes in those events are Kenyan. Okay. But that's all good and all the pandemic actually makes a lot of sense. Cause to me, you're testing more and the pandemic. So they, they might be cheating more, but why Kenya and not Ethiopia? Yeah. I asked him that and he said, look, I, he doesn't, he's like, I don't know. Ethiopia and Kenya, they are very close to each other. They're both East African. They're both, both responsible for many of the top finishes in these global road races. He did say they test more Kenyans than Ethiopians, even though Ethiopia is bigger. Kenya is by far, he said, the most tested nation in the world, even more than the US, even more than Ethiopia, in terms of the number of tests conducted by the AAU on athletes. So part of it might just be a numbers game, but he's like, look, I'm not entirely sure. He said that they're still able to test in Ethiopia pretty comprehensively, even though there's a civil war going on right now. He said that really hasn't inhibited our ability to test athletes. And he didn't want to speculate. He just said Kenya has a big problem with doping cases right now, and Ethiopia doesn't. And he didn't really know a good reason for it, but that's just the situation. And he didn't want to speculate beyond the facts that he knew. It's interesting. I was wondering, maybe are there there just more B-team pros in Kenya? So Ethiopia has twice the population of Kenya. But Kenya is having way more doping pauses. I was like, maybe there's more, maybe the standard of living in, in Kenya is less than Ethiopia. So you can be a B team road racer and there's more incentive to cheap. It's the opposite. The GDP per capita in Ethiopia, in Kenya is $1,800 per person. GDP per capita in Ethiopia is only like $900 per person. So, and there's twice as many people. So you think the financial thing would be bigger in Ethiopia? Although I think in Ethiopia, now a lot of people are living in the capital. Maybe they're running less as kids. Only the truly elites run. Who knows? What about this new old drug, John? Did you ask about that? Yeah, triamcinolone acetonide. I don't know if we call it a new old drug, but this was a drug that was being abused in cycling you know, about a decade ago. And now it's got, there are 10 adverse analytical findings, 10 separate cases for this drug in Kenya in the last two years alone. And that was compared to just two, the entire rest of the world, the last two years. So I was like, what is going on? Why are people taking this one specific drug? And Brett's explanation was that the old drugs, EPO, testosterone, you're still getting positive tests for that. It's not totally like Marius Kipser and Robert, the Rotterdam Marathon champion that you mentioned was suspended earlier. He was busted for EPO. So these drugs aren't disappearing, but the cheaters, Brett says, are getting smarter. They're realizing... The more they test out of competition, the more they take blood data for athlete biological profiles. You can't, I'm sorry, biological passport. You can't just take those drugs, the old ones, you will get caught. So he thought 
look, this is a drug that's actually legal to take out of competition. If you take this in an out of competition test and it's in there, they won't even report it because it's not banned out of competition. And it's also a drug where you can get a TUE for it, or you can get, if you, you can have sort of an explanation like, oh, I was getting it to treat an injury and it's not, you know, not an outlandish way of explaining, even if you're abusing it, athletes feel like they can cover their tracks by saying, oh, I had a TUE or oh, I meant to take it legally, but I didn't and that sort of thing. So that was his explanation was that this is a drug. Maybe you're not getting the same benefits out of EPO. It's not going to improve your performance by as much, but there is a way to abuse it and figure that's a, it's an easier way to abuse it. You're less likely to get caught by taking this drug than you would EPO or testosterone or something like that. Did you ask him about the Kipchoge case? Well, I shouldn't say Kipchoge case. Kipchoge training partner case specifically. And in general, because I think that guy confessed to it, and there's been a number of people who have confessed and getting their bans from four to three. When you confess, do you get your band automatically reduced or do you have to tell them, hey, this doctor gave it to me. This is where I got it. Because to me, that's what they should have to do. Yeah. I, so I talked to him about that. He said they don't comment on specific cases. But in general, I was like, look, it seems to me more athletes are just saying, taking it, admitting it right away and getting their band reduced. And he noted that the water code, the most recent update to the water code, which took effect either this year or the year before, changed it so that if you admit to doping within 20 days, you automatically get a year knocked off your, your sanction. I would have, I'd have to double check that to make sure that's completely true, but that's what he told me. I have to. So that was his explanation was it's now you ha it was possible to get your ban reduced for early admission, but now it's essentially a guaranteed one year off. So he's like more athletes are taking advantage of this. They're just realizing it's going to be, it's really hard to overcome these cases. If you did it, you might as well admit to it early. So that was one thing he pointed out. He also said they do try to get athletes to say who supplied them with it, how they end up taking it, all that sort of stuff. But there's often an omerta in these things. And if you're giving someone up, you're viewed as a snitch, your, your safety could be a risk. I don't know. But he's essentially, there's this code of silence. It's very, very hard to break through. And so, because I mentioned this idea I had and we've shared on the podcast in the week that was that in order to get your ban reduced, you have you can't just admit it early. You have to also give up a source, either you know who gave you the drugs or the doctor that prescribed you that and that sort of thing. And he's like, I don't know if that's the best idea because there is also another provision in the Water Code that if you are able to give information about your source, you can also get your ban reduced that way. And it's not like they cancel each other out. You could get it knocked down to three years for early admission and then a further year for saying who your source was and that sort of thing. And he thought it was important to keep it separate because they're helping in different ways. That If you're early admitting, it means they're saving costs on and time with a lengthy process, you know, hiring lawyers, all that stuff, going to court for something that if you actually did, you know, you can just save the, the money and time and resources. But then the other thing is, yeah, you, you're being rewarded for providing information about a positive test or about the source. And he thinks both of them are important in separate ways and they should kind of be separate as opposed to being linked. 
I mean, no offense, but how is the B team B team can can afford to do the appeal anyways? I mean, like how much money it costs Shelby Houlihan? Speaking of which, did you, since you're the defender of Shelby Houlihan, or you at least raised the possibility she could have been falsely suspended? A number of Kenyans have tested positive for the same drugs she did. Did you talk about that? And are they fearful that this is somehow in the boar meat over there? Oh, uh, Nangelin. Uh, that didn't come up, Robert. I probably should have asked him because I have noticed that Neurandrosterone uh, is the form of it that's showing up in these tests. It has been a case in a number of cases over there. But no, we didn't talk about that. Okay, well, we're on the anti-doping threat. We have a new threat on the forum. The Let's Run Anti-Doping Challenge is here. In this thread, you post your proposals, your ideas, how to clean up the sport. This is the idea of Let's Run poster Chin Wong. You can upvote, downvote them, discuss them. Hopefully we'll get a few ideas to help USADA, the AIU, WADA out. Because, I don't know, we can get frustrated, say everybody's 30, whatever, nothing changes. Hopefully we can get some concrete examples because I think somehow people are like, look, have a prize fund. I saw this already on the thread. Create a cash incentives for people who reveal the truth. That's what we're going to start using instead of rat people out. Because if, John, your safety would be at, at risk. Of course, that, that could be the case. Um, I mean, doping's a criminal offense in, in Kenya. So the person you discuss could go to jail or something who knows so i'll link to that thread in the show notes you know if something gets put in place we may create a let's run hall of fame put you in it but at the very least you can get a free shirt so check out the thread should we offer 500 dollars if anyone can get kip Jogi's training partner to talk write an article on can we call him yeah he has a name just fyi and I'm sure some people, El Kainino, threatened to never come back to the website because he said I was racist. I just think it's, you guys agree with me, it's our sport. And I do the same thing with New York when they add in wheelchairs and non-binary. Our sport is not treated like a major sport by so many people, journalists, organizers, etc. Like to me, it's unacceptable that this guy has tested positive. And for two weeks, we've had no statement from his agent, from Kipchoge, from etc. Like we deserve more. We're just, we're acting like our heads are in the ground. And nothing's happened. So I wanted someone to ask this question. I want him to answer it. What happened? Where did you Wait. get the drugs? Why did you take them? Yeah, John, who does he train with? The age and the group? A little more insight on what's going on here. Because Robert's acting like everybody knows this. Yeah, we told, so we talked about this a couple weeks ago when it happened. But his name's Philemon Kacheron. He trains with Elliot Kipchoge in the global sports communication. That's the agency that they're both represented by. They have the training camp in Kaptegat. Everyone's seen the pictures of it. We went there in 2017. That was where he was based. Jos Hermans is the guy who runs global sports. Below him, Valentine Trow. He's the guy who kind of manages the camp in there. He represents the Kenyan athletes, including Kipchoge and I assume Kacharan. And we reached out to both of them, Valentine and Yoss, about what the specifics were in this case, why he admitted to it, where he might have got them, that sort of thing, anything. And we reached out trying to get some information. They haven't responded. So that's where we stand right now. Like no response, not even, hey, I got your email. Because John, these people get back to you all the time, right? No acknowledgement. Yeah, normally 
when I'm talking to them ahead of a race, they're fairly responsive. But in this case, okay, this no, is no bullshit. Response. And we're going to call them out, John. I want you to write them back and say, this is bullshit. Otherwise, we're going to start well, just publicly calling them out. Where's the response from these guys? Robert, no, that's what we need to do. I agree. That's why I raised it. When, it. when he initially tested positive, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Somebody might dope just to stay in the training group because they need the money or whatever. It needs to be at a certain level. If they want to make up some BS excuse, that's fine. But I just want to have some explanation. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, Robert, when, I have, of course, Kipchoge could be innocent. This means that it's, I'm not saying Kipchoge's dirty at all, but they owe people a response. This is a prominent agency. We're going to call out their bullshit. Right, I'm not. I'm not blaming the agents either. Like, I'm not saying they're the ones who are responsible. I'm not blaming the agents for the doping. Well, then. I do think they owe it when you represent, a, you know, a big group like that. You should have some explanation as to what exactly is going on. But I'm not saying, oh, they're out here supplying him or anything. Like that I just would like to know their explanation. When we, when Johnny Demadonna had athletes testing positive, we reached out to Johnny. He gives his side of the story. That's all I'm looking for in this case. Is what's their side of the story? Do they still represent him? Do they know anything about it? But yeah, we haven't heard anything from them yet. Okay, enough doping talk. Move to a lighter subject. We're going to start talking here about some of the weekend preview of the college cross-country action. But before that, John, college kids, Halloween's coming up. Big party weekend. Some people like to drink alcoholic beverages when they party. Brings me to the threat of the week. Just checking the dates here. Yes, this was from six days ago. Still this week. It's a tweet by a Portland coach, Jonathan Marcus. It says, runners, if you drink alcohol more than two times per month, you are basically telling your body coach, teammates, you really don't care about becoming a better runner. A healthy liver is better able to convert lactate into glycogen than a compromised liver. Going dry equals running faster. Why are we giving this guy any attention? He just, like, once a month, he'll just tweet some total garbage like this, and everyone will freak out about it and say, how can you do this? I don't understand why anyone in the running world gives this guy any attention whatsoever. Johnny's a social media person. He's a prominent coach. He's prominent? What, who does he coach? How is he prominent? I don't know. Johnny's got responses from very prominent runners. A woman named Kara Goucher. Have you heard of her? Oh, he's great at driving interaction. I mean, people follow him on social media. I just can't understand why. That's how social media works. But this is great. I love the responses. Then we get into more general discussion about drinking while training. Kara Goucher says, if my coach and teammates don't think I care about becoming a better runner because three times a month I like to relax with some wine, I'm finding a new coach. Not because I'm not willing to give up the wine, but because that's kind of attempted control over my life. It's a massive red flag. Yeah, I agree with that. My take on this is fairly simple. Drinking alcohol will not make you a better runner. Obviously, you want to limit your alcohol intake when you're training seriously. But if you're the kind of person who, if you are not allowed to, if you can't, have a drink. Like, if you think a drink is going to help you relax every so often, or it's just going to, if totally not drinking and totally obsessing about training is going to limit your quality of life, increase the amount of stress in your life, absolutely have a drink. And every once in a while, if you're in the off season, yeah, you can party a little bit and let loose. 
you try to minimize your drinking, but if there's no set guideline that you can't be an amazing runner unless you hit less than two drinks a month, uh, anything more than that, you can't be an Olympic champion. Any sort of anyone trying to impose cut and dry guidelines like that is insane. Jonathan, John Kellogg heard us talking about this in the background. He's pointed out that Carlos Lopez used to regularly drink red wine. I think he was a, wasn't he like a world record holder? Now, someone will point out that the world record back then was probably over 27 minutes. So maybe that's not a good example, but it, like, it's not about how many days you drink. It's about how much you drink per day. If you wanted to have a glass of red wine every day for the month, I don't think it's going to impact your running. My favorite take was from this guy who Eric Zyberg. What a, um, what do you call it, John? Is that a meme when there's like a photo on Twitter or something? And they, it's a guy in bed with his wife. Babe, wake up. Another stupid Jonathan Marcus tweet just dropped. Supporters Club member Des Linden fired back. First, I'm surprised she hasn't been cooked off, kicked off Twitter because she said she will stab anyone who takes away her whiskey. And then she said, I think you know where I stand, but I'm afraid to say too much after reading his very personal attack on Dylan Maggard. So I, don't, I still haven't been able to find the personal attack between Jonathan Marcus and Dylan Maggard. Well, I found the tweet. And maybe we shouldn't be doing this because I just said, giving this guy attention, this is exactly what he wants. But I also think there's a level of decorum. This is why people get... This is why social media gets a bad reputation because you can have people just treating others very rudely. Like, they're not real people on the internet. And I, I found that this was what was going on in this case. So I think, I don't know, Jonathan Marcus, you need to treat people with, with respect if they disagree with your opinions. But here's the episode. So he tweets out, runners, tattoo this on your forehead. You can't outrun a poor diet. Dylan Maggard, who made the world indoor team earlier this year for the U.S., he was fourth in the 10K, I believe, at the U.S. Championships earlier this year. I'm so glad you're on this because I was going to bring up this tweet next, this thread. Dylan Maggard, runner of the month, in my opinion. Dylan says, I ate Burger King the night before running 13-13. You would say, okay, that's kind of a mic drop moment. It's obviously, Burger King, not a great diet. Jonathan Marcus quote tweets that, says, Dylan Maggard, why don't you stop acting like a silly college kid and start acting like a legitimate professional runner by cleaning up your diet, winning a few races that actually matter, and get yourself signed? It's just such a rude personal attack. That's the kind of thing we don't like on the Let's Run message board. I don't know. Just treat other people res with respect. Like, Dylan had a great season this year, and <laughs> just because he had some opinion on food the night before a race that you disagree with, you're just going to attack him like that? I just think it's... I mean, come on, man. Somehow I never saw their quoted tweet, but I saw Dylan Maggard's tweet, 1313 and Burger King. You're my hero. Roger and I love fast food. We, we should probably do a piece. Like, what's the most ridiculous thing someone's eaten the night before a great performance? Or preferably the day of the performance? Because I told John, I, John, I found a 1313 guy here at Burger King, and John couldn't believe me, but then I guess he somehow found this tweet. And John's like, oh, it wasn't the day of the race. Not impressed. I am. Dylan Maggard, man of the people, man of the people. 
Daniel's secret. Hey, Kipchoge could eat Burger King the night before a marathon. He's still going to run 202. It's not like your pre-race meal doesn't matter as much as you think it does, people. Okay, you can't be a total moron about it. Like you can't go out and get hammered drunk. But if you're getting some carbohydrates, some proteins, some fats in, and you've got an amazing block of training in the lead up, yeah, it's not gonna I don't think it's gonna make or break your race. Don't don't quote Elliot Kipchoge. Jonathan Marcus has quoted Elliot Kipchoge in defense of himself, saying he claims that Elliot Kipchoge said 80% of athletes have bad character and 80% of athletes drink alcohol. Elliot Kipchoge. And also John Kellogg, well, you may not want to hear this. John Kellogg is does think that diet is a big thing for runners. Says too much sugar can ruin you, ruined him, he says. Well, let's be clear here. Diet, this isn't something that doesn't matter at all. You shouldn't be, if you're eating Burger King every day, then yeah, you're probably not maximizing your ability as a runner. But again, all things in moderation here. You're not going to derail your career by having a fast food or a couple of two beers on a Saturday night. Look, the, the, the reality is, I mean, we had this big debate at Cornell when actually employee 1.1 who didn't drink or drank very rarely um, and took running pretty seriously, got mad at our guy who made NCAs three times for drinking all the time. And he thought, oh, I'm faster than you. Screw off. But I think if he didn't drink all the time, he would have been even faster still. And I, I made the argument that everyone was so cut and dry and who was, who was not dedicated and who was. Like, if you drink four Cokes, it's probably worse than drinking two beers a day. So, you know, we all have our sins. Now, according to John Marcus, no Coke, no weed, no beer and no something else he's got on there but it, like when weldon was in college they had a meet in canada it was the night before the meet and they had an open bar i couldn't believe it Weldon was like 18 he sees some guy drink like four or five drinks he's like well we know who's not going to run well tomorrow and that guy ended up winning the race so i'm not suggesting you do that but if you're super talented you're still super talented and there's a kara goucher's right there's a key to being relaxed like if you're counting every calorie and not letting yourself have dessert every once in a while or eat fast food. You know, the more you run, the more you can eat junk. Who was it? Bill Rogers is like, you know, the, someone asked him what he eats, and he's like, the oven's hot enough. I can eat whatever the hell I want. <laughs> that was my teammate in college. My Dana had a saying, if the fire's hot enough, anything will burn. But, yeah, moderation and everything. A lot of college kids don't know how to drink in moderation. That story Robert told about college, yeah, I forgot about it. It's true. It sounds like, you know, something from like the 50s. Like these guys used to smoke Roger Bannister and Four Minute Mile and that sort of stuff. But another true story, I swear the Yale team a couple years after I graduated, they decided to go, dr like the captain didn't really drink, and he decided the team would go dry midway through the season. And I swear to you, they got worse race after race after that. People are like, it doesn't make sense. And it might. If some of the kids, that's how they blow off steam. They have a couple of beers and now they can't do it. They're feeling guilty. There's a mental component to all of this, right? Like if it drives you nuts not to eat a cookie, you're going to run well, run worse. Moderation, people. So whatever you do, try to eat healthy. But if you want to have a few drinks and relax you, go right ahead, in my opinion. Still think you can run really well. But Dylan, Dylan Maggard has laid it down. Electron.com, runner of the week. Although the, the food post, I think, was from like six months ago, right? Yeah, and I just want to 
remind everyone, what was Usain Bolt's diet during the 2008 Olympics? One of the greatest performances in the history of track and field, fueled by McDonald's chicken nuggets. So let's not go insane here. But Marcus would say, how much better could he have been if he had only been dedicated? <laughs> like, you, you also, you take things into context, though. Like, Dylan, why did he Burger King before a race? Do you think it was his plan that he said, oh, I should have Burger King. That's the way I'll run the best tomorrow. Many Sometimes runners, you get into a race city late or there's no other options and you just need to go with something that you know isn't going to upset your stomach. And so you end up eating a Burger King by mistake. You just got to like, sometimes you'd have no other option. If you're one of those people who says, oh, I can't have anything but the purest substances entering my body. And then you're in a situation where the only food you have is an option like that. You're going to freak the hell out and you're going to be questioning yourself all day. Whereas if someone who is used to having maybe every so often they give themselves a treat or something, they're not going to panic over having one bad meal. All right. I need to pick up my son at school pretty soon. So can we talk about NCAA cross country? It's Friday. All the meets, the power five meets are Friday. I'm not sure how we're going to record the Friday 15 if I'm at the Ivy Championships, but true to be determined. But, John, are we really going to learn anything? You've got some notes in here, and it's pretty interesting. You're saying the top seven men's team in the country are all in different conferences. And the top seven women's teams in the country are all in different conferences. So I guess we can still look at the margin of victory. Yeah, team-wise, it's going to be hard to know anything definitively. Many of the top teams raced against each other at Wisconsin two weeks ago. That's kind of be, going to be our gauge going in. I think the bigger things we will learn, well, one, if one of the big teams does get upset, then yeah, you can take something away from that, even though scoring is going to be a little different because conference meets are smaller. You know, having two big low sticks isn't going to help you as much as it would at NCAAs. But to me, what I'm going to be watching is the individual battles because there are some good ones, particularly on the women's side is what I'm looking for. Eight, the SEC championships. Florida's Park of Alby just debuted a couple weeks ago, 1858 at Texas A&M. She won that race by over a minute, but the competition wasn't incredible there. Well, at SEC, she's going to go up against Mosey Chalangot, Hilda Olamomoy, and Amara Stanisma of Alabama. Chalangot, NCAA 10K champion. She was the runner-up behind Caitlin Tui at the Notre Dame invite earlier this year, and she's also the NCAA cross champion from two years ago. That's going to be a big measuring stick because we're going to compare how Valby did against Chalangot versus how Caitlin Tui did against Chalangot. So I'm going to be interested to see that. I assume Parker Valby will win, but I'm going to be paying attention to how much she wins by. And then the Big 12s, I think you know, got another great battle. Natalie Cook and Taylor Rowe of Oklahoma State. We saw them go 1-2 at the Cowboy Jamboree back in September. Add in Kaylee McCabe from West Virginia, who was third at NCAAs last year. The three of them battling it out, who takes the individual crown. I'm excited to see that as well. So... Those are really the ones I, I haven't done my full deep dive into all the other conferences to see what's going on, but those are the two head-to-head matchups that I'm going to be following on Friday. It's nuts all the top teams are in different conferences. I mean, that's hard to do. Both men and women top seven, John? Yeah, and the women's side, 
NC State, ACC, New Mexico, Mountain West, Oklahoma State, Big 12, Northern Arizona, Big Sky, BYU, West Coast Conference, Notre Dame, ACC, Alabama, SEC. The first repeat you have is at number eight, NC, North Carolina is AC. Sorry, top. my stats were not completely correct. The top five women's teams are all in different conferences. Notre Dame is number six. They're in the same conference as number one, NC State. So it's the top five on the women's side. In the men's side, it's the top seven. I won't list them all off, but you'll have to take my word on that one. I still think we can learn some stuff from the team stuff. Like, you don't normally sit people out in conference. These people, NC State had a couple people out. Like, do they run all their runners? How do they do? I want to see something from you before you just show up at nationals. I don't think that's a good idea just to not race all season and show up at nationals. So, a, is everyone healthy on the team stuff? You know, how much, what's the margin of victory? And then individually, John just assumes Valby's going to win. Those Alabama girls are pretty darn good. You know, I said Valby, I think it should be probably based on the transitive property, be considered the, the favorite, but we'll see. I mean, if she trounces these Alabama girls, she definitely is. But that'll be interesting. And then on the men's side, I mean, maybe the Stanford guys don't go all out against each other, but. There's a number of Stanford guys that could be the individual champion. How do they do against each other, against the rest of the Pac-12? So, so they're just going to stomp Colorado? The men? They, On paper, they should because they stomped them when they raced at Wisconsin. But Colorado always shows up at the conference meet. There was a long time where they never lost this meet. And Stanford's won a couple in recent years, but yeah, you can never totally... I, I, on paper, Stanford should stomp them, but Colorado always brings it to the Pac-12 meet. All right, I guess one last topic we should mention before we stop the show. Natalia Antuk of Russia, 2012 Olympic champion in the 400-meter hurdles, finally came out this week. She'd been banned a while ago. Remember, this was the whole... Russian doping situation that put a cloud over the entire 2010s. They finally decided they had enough data to annul her results from July 15th, 2012 to June 29th, 2013. That means that she loses her Olympic gold medal in the women's 400 meter hurdles and America Lashinda Demas is going to be upgraded to the gold. I cannot believe this took 10 years to happen. We've seen two different American women win Olympic gold in this event since Lashinda Demas did it in 2012, and she hasn't even officially been upgraded to gold. She's in line now that Antuk's results are going to be stripped, but oh man, you, I, I just have to think there's a better way of doing this that it takes less than 10 years for a result like this to be changed. But congratulations, a very belated congratulations to Lashinda Demas, who's since retired on her 2012 Olympic gold medal. Lashinda Demas, the mother of twins. Yeah, it's got to thuck if you're heard to wait this long. I mean, you're deprived out of something. One of my doping ideas is going to be, if you're convicted of something, oh, they get you a four-year suspension. And also, we have four-year suspensions now. Your career is pretty much over, I think, with a four-year suspension. I mean, I guess Gatlin came back, but it seems very hard to do. Like, we treat this seriously. The whole other argument is like, well, we're testing way harder than like, baseball and these other sports traction catching people. I mean... NFL drug testing is a complete effing joke. But 
what about if you test positive, you lose everything in the past? Like, you don't, maybe you don't have to go like repay the prize money if they can't prove you're doping then. But like, if you, if you test positive in 2017, it's a four year suspension, they take away your Olympic title. Bye, gone, sorry. I think you'd have to limit it to specific sanctions, though. If you test positive for some supplement and you get a six year ban, six month ban, I don't think they should suddenly strip every title you've ever won. But if it's like a four year serious ban, I don't have a problem with that. Well, then. I know that's not how the like, justice system works, but I think like, hey, the, the running system works. You're always under suspicion. Someone knocks on your door, makes you drop your pants. They stare at your private parts as you pee in front of them. There's no presumption of innocence. So if you test positive in the future for a major drug, we're not confident that everything you did in the past is gone. We'll strip it. I guess we could strip it and not necessarily upgrade everybody else. I don't know if that's fair. Yeah, I, but the thing is, Weldon, if you test positive and you serve a four-year ban, everyone's going to think there's a cloud over that race anyway. Whenever you say, look back and, you know, Asbel Kiprop, right? Four-year EPO ban. He was the Olympic champion in 2008. But does anyone just say, oh, yeah, no doubts about that. That's a totally normal race that happened there. First of all, the guy who crossed the finish line first, Ramsey, banned. But Asbel Kiprop, everyone's got questions about that Olympic final now, even though he tested positive well after the fact. So if you're just coming in and codifying that and stripping him of the title, I don't think I have much of a problem with that if it's a cut and dried thing like EPO. And even if we don't know if he was using EPO at the time of the race. Well, I've got questions about the 2004 Olympic 1500 meter final. And there was no positive test in that one that I'm aware of. Anyone remember speaking of 10 years, John? I think it was 10 years ago in 2012 when they, they kept these samples from 2004 and they tested some of them and popped a few people. And then I think they just threw out the rest. And I remember thinking, um, I want everyone that they have from that 1500 meter final to, to let's see if technology can pop some of these people. Because don't want to name names. Don't want to be sued. But it's amazing how many people in the 2000s, I think, have cheated to win that Olympic 1,500-meter title. We've had, we've had three popped, right? Well, counting the women. The Turkish girl. Okay, yeah, the Turkish women. You also had Ramsey. The Turkish women went one, two, and they've both been banned. And you've had Ramsey and Kiprop in 2008. They've both been banned. And then, all right, let's just throw it out there, Robert. There are people out there who are suspicious of Hisham el Garouj. There are people who are suspicious about Tauf- Taufik McLoofy, who won in 2004 and 2012. Neither of those athletes have tested positive. They haven't been banned. But, you know, there are people out there who are suspicious of those two athletes. They should freeze the samples, like, forever. Well, they did freeze it, but there's like a 10-year statute of attentions, and then they threw them out. No, don't. It, that's not forever, Robert. When they throw them out, that's not forever. Well, I agree with you. That's another sample. Put it in this doping thread. All right, guys. Anything else, or can I head off to Burger King? Enjoy your Whopper, well then. I'm not a whiskey drinker, and it's 418, so I figure I... Gotta wait for those. Remember, you have a choice in beers. Evil Twin Brewery, the unofficial brewery of Let's Run.com.
and enter the elliptical roll recovery train like the pros giveaway you got to do it by wednesday october 26th link in the show notes thirty five hundred dollars in prizes if you don't have one of these two devices i don't know if you can call yourself a real runner you're just throwing it out there you're not taking your recovery cross training seriously i think that's like that's like a factual statement well i don't know i'm sorry i just pulled the jonathan marcus and Kind of a little hyperbole. Maybe there's some competing brand that's as good. I really doubt it. Check it out. 